The word of the, the word of the Lord this morning comes from Acts one, uh, verses twelve through twenty six. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brother. I'll read that one again. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers together. The crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of it and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that the field in their language, Hakodama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead, become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias, And then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go down his place. And so they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Are we overwhelmed with God's presence in our lives and in our midst? Uh, We've been looking at this idea of living in his presence We've been talking through this the last couple of weeks, and, and we've kind of been doing in our, in our message series a parallel to the book of Acts. We've been asking you to read through the book of Acts, uh, 28 chapters, one a day for four weeks, and um, you should be on chapter 22 tomorrow. If you're uh, not there, you can kind of skip ahead and catch up to us. But we're reading through the story of the book of Acts and what God has done in the early church. And as we're looking through that, we're seeing lots of different things happening. You heard the reading today from back right after Pentecost uh, happened, and, and Peter goes out and preaches, and some amazing things begin to happen. We're going to come to Pentecost Sunday next week, and we're going to get back into sync with the messages in the lectionary and talk about what Pentecost really means as we live in God's presence and are able to today. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at subjects like Moses and, and, and looking at Moses and how he asked for God's presence in his life and wasn't satisfied with where he was at in his relationship with God but simply said, I need more of you. I need to see your glory. I need to see you at work in my life. He had this thirst for God's presence. Then uh, the week after that, we talked about King David, this idea of giving myself completely to God, that it's not just enough to seek after God and want God, but we need to give ourselves to him completely and allow him to be able to use us in a way that only he can. 
Last week we looked at Elisha and his seeking for God's presence, that he moved and went where God was at work so that he would experience God. And when God wanted to work through him, he was in the right place at the right time. Well, today we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to talk about this idea of entering into God's presence. And I thought it's ironic. Now, those of you who are viewing online, you probably it's out of camera. We have a portable baptistry sitting right here in the middle of the sanctuary. As you come down the line, the steps are on this side facing me. And I, I'm a firm believer in, in 4D reality. Have you ever gone to an amusement park and, and ridden a 4D ride? It's one of those that when you're, when you're falling forward, you get the wind in your face. You really get the sensations. Um, I'm trying to remember the little character. Oh, I can't remember his. Anyway, there was, there was one character, and he was known for passing gas. I'll say it that way. And we were on that ride, and, and we came through, and it came a time where, where he made the sound on the screen, and I wish I was not on a 4D ride at that point because the sensory perception was amazing. Uh, I almost threw up, it was so bad. And, uh, and so we, we have these experiences in our life, and I'm a big believer in utilizing what is around you. And I thought for a sensory perception this morning, at the end of the message, I'm going to take my microphone off, I'm going to run down the aisle, I'm going to do a cannonball in the baptistry and get those of you in the splash zone really into the message today. Uh, no, we're not really going to do that before you start moving. But I thought, you know, how many times do we not really deeply interact with the scripture? We read it, but we don't really interact with it. We, we don't really get into what's there. We read through the words so quickly that we almost miss it. You know, there was a significant thing that happened in Jesus' baptism. And for us to, to go through and, and talk about it and just, oh, Jesus was baptized and move on, we miss the significance of the moment. And so I encourage you as you're reading the word to really get into the story. Pick a character. As you're reading through that, pick a character and say, if I was that character, how would I ex be experiencing this reality in this situation. It changes how scripture looks in our lives and how it impacts us. But back to this idea of God's presence. What does it really mean to be in God's presence, to enter into God's presence? How do we know when we're in the presence of God? And for that matter, how do we find God's presence? That I would suggest to you there are a lot of signs and symbols of God's presence. We're going to talk about that next week. But I thought I would warm you up this morning. You see, we... we um, tend to look at the scripture sometimes as something separate from our daily lives. But Jesus was the master of taking stories and symbolism from right around him and then bringing a spiritual depth, a spiritual meaning out of it. So I thought we would do a pop quiz this morning. Is there anyone here that is getting ready to take their driver's test in the next year or so? Is there anyone that recently failed the test? No, I won't ask that. Um, we're going to, and how many of you have been driving for, let's say, 40 years or more? All right, now this is the real test. You'd still remember what these things are. I'm going to put some things on the screen. We're going to go through them one at a time and see what you remember about how you're supposed to be driving. And the reason I'm doing this is twofold. I want us to think about interacting with symbols, the symbolism in our daily lives. But I also want to give a refresher course on how to drive because I've been on the roads a lot the last couple of days and people do not know how to drive, okay? And, and so this will, this will help you be a better driver. Here we go. The first one on the top left, we're going to go from the top row, we're going to go across. The first one that has that red, or the red octagon with, uh, with four letters in it. What is that? Talk with me this morning. This is your time to interact. It's a stop sign. Did you know that when you come up to a stop sign, it literally means stop? Okay, it literally means stop. It's not 
slow down and slide through if nobody's coming. Um, thing I've learned about stop signs in America, we have forgotten that the first person at the stop sign is the first person to go. Now, that doesn't mean that if you were five cars in line before the guy comes to the other stop sign, that all five cars go first. All right, that has happened to me so many times recently. It's, uh, fortunately, I drive a big truck. What I've learned with a big truck, people get out of your way. And so if they start through an intersection, it's my turn to go. I teach them what a stop sign means, <laughs> all right? And it's amazing. They stop right in the middle of the intersection. Like, what did I do wrong? Well, you, it was not your turn. Just be patient. All right, the second one, what is that? Yield sign. Did you know that a yield sign means you don't have the right of way? On my way here this morning, there's a place where I, where I drive coming down, getting on to uh, 83, and, and it's, um, or I'm on 83, turn, turning around uh, by the Harrisburg Mall just before that, that big bend there, and you come up on there, and then the road comes up from the, this side, and they have a merge sign, and a, like a yield sign, and it's amazing. I watched three people floor it and cut in front of me this morning. That's not yielding. All right. Again, big truck. I didn't push the issue because I needed to get to church. What's the third one? Crossing. Pedestrian crossing or a crosswalk sign. It's a sign that indicates that people have the right of way to cross the street. And in the state of Pennsylvania, if they're in a crosswalk, they always have the right of way to cross the street, right? Whether there's a sign there or not. It's amazing how many times people miss that one. All right, what's the, the uh, fourth one from the left? Okay, it's, a, it's an indication there's some kind of a turn ahead. I can tell you this, without fail, the road will go in the direction of the arrow. All right? So keep that in mind. They do get confusing at times, because sometimes they go like this. I saw one time the kind of one sign, it must have been specially made, but it literally went, it turned this way, and then it went off on, a, on like a, almost a 45-degree straight angle. And I thought, okay, that's a little different. But it helped me get through the turn ahead, because you can't always see. All right, the next one? Steep hill ahead, okay? Yes, it has nothing to do with the truck other than truckers have to really pay attention and brake before they get into the hill so they don't get into trouble at the bottom. What's the uh, last one in the top row? Okay, it says, it says pitch in. My favorite place I ever saw a pitch in sign was in Boston in the, um, the big park in the center of Boston, Boston Commons there. They had two of these side by side and they were solar powered trash disposals. You would walk up to it, and you would, you would wave your hand in front of it, and the door would open, and you would toss in, it had pitch in sign, pitch in your trash, it would close, and you would hear it kind of like compacting the thing. It was amazing, solar paneled, right under a grove of trees. I'm not lying, I took a picture of it, I just, I didn't bring it with me today, but I'm thinking, what on earth are they thinking, you know? Um, all right, second line, first one. On the left, that side, okay. Speed limit 20, that means you're supposed to go no more than 20, yeah, 30 miles an hour. It's like Interstate 80, it's 80 on 80, right? Um, it, it means you're supposed to go no more than 20 miles an hour. Now, some people think that's a suggestion that you can go five miles an hour in a speed limit. You know, The idea is to kind of keep with the flow of traffic and, and go 20 miles an hour. What about the next one? Do not enter, that's kind of self-explanatory. Don't turn here, that's not meant for you to go that direction. Most likely somebody faster and bigger will be coming straight at you if you turn. Next one. Okay, dead end. <laughs> go figure, it, some people can't understand that a dead end means the road stops and it disappears. Um, what about the next one? 
All right, buckle up. It's the law. Wear your seatbelt. You know that all 50 states have some type of a seatbelt law? And it's important when you're traveling interstate. I know we haven't done a lot of that this past year, but we drive out. We drove out in the middle of the pandemic. We, we got brave. I said, we're taking my truck. It's got a huge gas tank so we can get there the whole way. If, if all the gas stations are closed, we can at least get to St. Louis to visit the grandkids. And we might not get back home, but at least we can get there. And uh, along the way, we had to pay attention because each state had a little different variation of the seatbelt and, and when to buckle up. All right, what's the next one? Yeah, it's a little guy with a, a shovel. The, the thing that's amazing to me, though, is the guy in the picture is working. <laughs> Won't say any more about that. What's the, what's the next one? One way. What does that mean? You can only go one direction. And I know you say, I was only going one direction. It was the wrong direction, but I was only going one direction. But I don't know how many times we miss those signs, right? They're so easy. You just, oh, I need to turn here. And you turn and realize everybody's coming at you and there's nowhere to go. And then they all have to wait for you to get out of the way. I actually had a person one time, I was coming out of a, out of a uh, restaurant parking lot. And they pulled in. And there was room for two of us. And they went, you know, just waving, I'm sorry, and then waited for me to back up. And I'm like, I'm sorry too, back up. You know, uh, fortunately, I didn't do that. I moved out of their way because they'd had to back onto a very busy street. But sometimes we miss it, sometimes we don't care. We just drive that way anyway because it's the quickest way. All right, bottom, bottom row, we're, we're, we're getting there. No U-turn. Sometimes, the ones that confuse me is the ones that say no U-turn, truck and bus. Like, is that a semi-tractor trailer truck, or is it my little Ram 1500? I don't, I don't know. So I'm kind of very cautious of those. But it means you cannot do a U-turn at that intersection. Did you know that most other places you can do a U-turn? That, it, again, it varies by state. All right, what's the next one? Deer crossing. True story. A lady called a radio station to complain about the deer cross. Some of you have heard this. You know where I'm going with this. A lady called a radio station to complain about the deer crossing sign. We need to put that deer crossing sign in a different location. Too many deer are dying along the roadside there. <laughs> it was a true story. And they were, they, they were like, I don't know what to do with this. They were just laughing hysterically. All right, what's about the next one? Bears. Be alert for bears, OK? If you see that sign and you see a little tiny one, don't go pet it. It's not a good idea, all right? <laughs> Uh, bears, there, there's a reason that their phrase exists, mama bear, all right? Uh, I have a friend, a, a relative of mine, who's also our Sunday school teacher at our church uh, that we attend on a regular basis, that um, he was trying to separate a mom and a newborn calf on his farm to take care of the calf, and, and it just wasn't working, and he turned around a couple weeks ago, turned his back on the, on the mom and started walking away, had given up, but mom didn't. She came, hit him in the back with her head, sent him airborne. He doesn't remember much of it, and then proceeded to stomp on him. And his wife was there. It was a very serious situation, but he was, he was OK. He was perfectly fine. He was beat up a little bit, but he, they checked him out, and he was OK. It could have ended up much more serious. And, um, and being the, the friend and, and uh, sensitive person that I am, I made sure he was OK. And I said, dude, you got beat up by a girl cow? And, and he said, well, it was, then he, that's when he told me the story, it was the mama. You don't mess with the mother, whether it's a human being or an animal in nature. All right, we're almost done. The next one. 
playgrounds, a playground sign. Yes, there are children on the playground, <laughs> but it is, a, it is a playground sign, which means it's a good idea to slow down and watch for little kids running around. Next one. All right. Sometimes it's just the letter P, isn't it? That means there's a parking. In this, I don't understand this one. There's parking up for you guys. There's parking up there. All right. It means go off on an angle, not, not up there. But the final one. It says hurricane evacuation route. Yeah. <laughs> when it rains or if it snows, yes, this road will be very busy. But, uh, you know, I am really looking forward this year to seeing a lot of those signs. I don't know about you. Uh, last year, a lot of our vacations were changed and plans changed and everything. The end of this month, uh, in a couple weeks, we will not be here with you guys because we're celebrating our 35th wedding anniversary. That was supposed to be on a cruise ship halfway around the world. It's not happening, but we're going to drive to the beach, and I hope to see a lot of those signs. Uh, I hope to not have to follow those signs, but I hope to see a lot of those signs. You know, there are signs and symbols all around us, aren't there? And we can have fun with this, and, and it's okay to have fun in church, too. Um, we can have fun with this and try and figure out those signs and symbols, but there's other signs and symbols that I believe God puts right in front of us all the time that most of the time we miss because we're not in tune with how he's working and wanting to and able to see what's there. Um, what about this symbol? Have you seen this anywhere? Anybody not recognize this? Oh, this is a great example of seeing a sign and a symbol every week and not seeing it. Go look at your church sign on the way out. Right? This is a, the, the logo for the Church of the Nazarene, and it is on your sign out front. I don't remember if it's in your bulletin or not, but uh, okay, it's right on the cover. All right, look on the cover of your bulletin. It's there. Um, it is, uh, it, it, you can see the elements of it, and we're going to talk about these next week. There are a lot of elements that are in here. What do, what do you see first? Okay, we see a dove, representative of the Holy Spirit. What else? We see a flame. The dove is shaped like the flame, the fire. All right, we're going to talk about that next week. What else do you see? The cross. It's interesting. We see the cross before we see the... Bible that the cross is the bookmark for. Okay. What else do you see? Feet? Could be. Could be. Kind of in a weird position way back there, but yeah. There's something that's symbolized here that you really don't see. But think about what has to happen for a flame to exist or a dove to be in that position. There has to be air, wind blowing. And if you think about the day of Pentecost that we're going to talk about next week, there was a lot of symbolism involved in that. We're going to look at that, and we're going to discuss that. But today, we're going to look at this baptism of Jesus for a few moments. And, and we're going to look at it in light of living in the presence of God, with the symbolism all around us, with the things that God's doing and interacting with us in our world all around us that many times we do not see because we get so used to what we go through in our daily lives. John chapter 1, the next day, now this is the day after Jesus was baptized. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of, the God, the Lamb of God. Now, to understand what's happening here, you have to back up a day. Jesus has been baptized. The, the, the Pharisees have, have pulled John aside and said, who are you? Who gives you the power and authority to baptize? They're, they're questioning him. 
And, and he's having this, this dialogue, this conversation. And, and in the midst of all of that, hey, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw or I witnessed the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, it's really interesting. If you really dig deep into the story of John the Baptist and think about his upbringing, think about who he is in relationship to Jesus, they were, it's, they were a close relationship. Some suggest first cousins. And they, but they would have grown up near each other and would have known of each other. And, and, and yet, I wouldn't have known who he was except for the sign, the symbol that gave evidence to who the Messiah was. So the first thing we realize in our story is that John didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. He didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. He had seen Jesus often. You know, Jesus was, was the one that, that was astounding the teachers in the temple at age 12 when he got lost. Or he didn't get lost. He knew where he was. He stayed behind in the temple to teach. And so anybody who knew him as a child growing up would have known there was something different about this Jesus. But John didn't recognize them as the Son of God. Much like I don't recognize most of you this morning. Could you guys help me out? Could you just go like this? Those of you who have your vaccines, could you go like this for me? Okay, now I see, now I see who you are, okay? I, I've seen you for, well, it's been six months almost, uh, since November 15th. I've seen many of you throughout that process, but I would not have recognized you if you came up to me on the street because we've had this mask on, right? I am so glad that we've gotten to the point before I leave here to have the mask pulled off for a while because I want to get to know you. So if you walk up to me two months down the road and say, oh, hi, Pastor Ray, I don't, I look, do I know you? You know, I may say, could you go like this? And then I'll get it. But the thing is, we can see something day in and day out and not recognize what's happening. We can see God at work in our lives day in and day out and not recognize what God is wanting to do. Just like many of you said, I, I don't remember that symbol. You walk past it every Sunday. Now, I'm not picking on you. We tend to be blind. There, there are studies that, that understand that once you've been in a familiar surroundings for six months, you no longer pick up any details. You know, If that baptistry sat there for six months and did not move, you would get used to it, and you would go out, oh, the baptistry was there? Now, it sounds really weird because it's so big, but that's what we do as human beings. That's how our brains work, that we miss things around us. We miss the details because we become so accustomed to what's going on. How many of you drive the same way home from work every day? Well, I, I'm raising it to encourage you to raise your hand. I basically walk from my office to my kitchen, all right, and then I'm off done for the day. But those of you who drive to work still, how many of you are so used to that path that you don't see things anymore? Your mind gets going, and all of a sudden you pull in your driveway and say, oh, I don't remember what I, I don't know how I got here. Well, I know how I got here, but I don't remember any of it. We get used to and accustomed to the things around us. And is it possible that we can get so used to the things of God that we miss his presence? 
that, that we miss him at work around us? John didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God. John had been preaching about the coming of the Messiah, but didn't recognize that his cousin was the Messiah. But it's an interesting thing about John is that in spite of not recognizing who Jesus was as the Son of God, he was looking for God's presence. In fact, that was his whole purpose for his ministry, wasn't it? To prepare the way, to teach people about the coming of the Messiah, that all those Old Testament prophecies, all the things that they had been taught since they were a kid, was about to come true, that God was at work. The time of the Messiah is now. He's at hand. You're going to see him soon. He's coming. Get ready, folks. Jesus is on the way. John wouldn't have said it that way. He would have said the Messiah is on the way. And, and he was looking for God's presence. And isn't it interesting that in spite of our becoming so familiar with our surroundings that we can miss God, when we actually look for God, we see him? If, if you were to look, if I were to say for, to you now, there is a sign somewhere in this building that has that symbol on with the dove and the Bible and the cross and the wind and the fire and all of that, and you would go out, and you'll see it on your way out, I guarantee you'd be paying more attention to details around you as you walk out of here today. The, uh, the church that I pastor, I've been working, or that pastor that I attend, see, you just get used to saying that for 30 years, it just rolls off your lips. The church that I attend, we have a, a large pastoral staff. I've been working with them this past year on a, a rebranding, a refocusing, a revisioning process. And uh, so I've been meeting with them once a month, and, and we're almost to the end of this next month, and, and we've started putting out this phrase, hashtag JTAG, J-T-A-G. And I just said, just start putting it around places. Don't explain it, just put it around. So sometimes it's in a corner in a tiny part of the bulletin. Sometimes I think it's going to be flashing on the screen for a couple seconds this morning. And just get people looking for it. And they're going to start seeing it different places. And they're going to start asking, they've already started asking questions. What is hashtag JTAG? Well, it's Jesus to all generations. It's the new vision, it's the new slogan. A slogan. It's the new <laughs> slogan. <laughs> it's the slogan. Uh, that's that's a new word. It's in the dictionary. Look it up. Um, and let me know if it really is there, because if not, you should add it. Just write it in, and then it's in there. Uh, it's the new logo, the new thought process, because we want it to be simple. What is our church about? It's Jesus to all generations. No one is excluded. The youngest to the oldest, God is here for them. John was looking for God. He was looking for, for God's presence. He was, my whole purpose in being here and teaching and, and baptizing and this whole wilderness experience is I am looking for God. I'm here preparing the way that one day he will come and my ministry will fade into the background and God will do an amazing thing in our midst. Well, John understood that he was fulfilling his purpose in God's plan. He was fulfilling his purpose in God's plan. He, he knew what he was about. He knew why he was on this planet, what his purpose was. And I want to suggest to you that God has a purpose for every one of you in God's plan. And, and what, I, what I deal with on a regular basis is people talking about retirement. That's my job as a financial advisor, talking a lot about finances and preparation for retirement. But then I find, I, ha, I start to have the conversation with people, what are you going to do in retirement? And they're like, well, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm just going to retire and lay around and do nothing. I said, really? The time in your, and being a, in a Christian company, I'm able to say this, the time in your life when you have the most free discretionary time to do anything for God that he asks you to do, you're going to sit around? I want to challenge you. 
like never before when you retire. Get a new career for God. You have amazing opportunity. I, I, I've, I had a lady in one of my churches laying on her deathbed in hospice. I think I told you about her for, for like six months. She was in her hospice care in her deathbed. And every day she was praying and praying for people in the church and calling the seniors in the church. She's in her 90s dying, and she's calling the seniors in the church and others to encourage them. You see, no matter where we're at, there's a purpose in God's plan for your life and mine. John was fulfilling that purpose. Uh, You know, there's really two types of people that attend our churches. You, You can really nail it down to that. There are the consumers and the producers. The consumers are the ones that just come and, and, and they're, there, they're there to every Sunday or many times every Sunday, just want to be there and just enjoy the ministries of the church, you know, give a little bit in the offering to support the ministry, keep it flowing. I am enjoying what, what this church provides for me. And then the other type of people are the producers that are saying, I don't come here because of me. I come here because I'm getting to get work with some amazing people on mission for God. And they work and they produce in the church and the ministries and and they're the ones that keep everything going. And there's these two types of people that come to our churches every Sunday. The consumers that are there for what's in it for me and the producers that say, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve God in whatever way he asks. So this morning, which one are you? If you were to take a serious hard look at your life right now, no matter how old you are, how young you are, are you a producer or a consumer? You see, John was a producer. He understood that there was a purpose for his life. He knew exactly what it was. And he was living it every day. Well, in the midst of this whole thing, John receives a sign from God. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm kind of the, one of the ones that need a sign every once in a while. You know, I sense God talking to me about something, and then, and then I'm like, but I'm not sure, God, is that really what you want me to do? And so sometimes he, I need a sign. You, you know, you've been driving down the roads. You see the billboards said, You've been waiting for a sign that says not to, to smoke marijuana and drive. This is it. You know, we, we say many times, when God gives me a sign, then I'll do it. John received a sign from God. He was told before he ever started baptizing, he said, when you find the one, when you baptize the one, where a dove comes down from heaven, like the spirit in the shape of a dove, and rests on the shoulders of that one, that's the Messiah. Can you imagine what John's job was like? Think about that for a moment. Every morning I can see John jumping, well, not out of bed, but <laughs> off the desert floor, dusting himself off, said, can't wait, can't wait to get down to that river. This could be the day. This could be the day that my entire life has pointed toward. Who will be the one? I can see, I can see as he would have the baptistry set up, and they'd come in, and say, he'd be thinking, I wonder if this is the one. And he'd be doing what we do, maybe sizing him up, saying, Ah, uh, now a little too scrawny. I think the Messiah's going to be a little bit more buff. That can't be the one. You know? And going down through that whole list and, and just every day, could this be the one? Could this be the one? Could this be the one? And then one day, his cousin comes. His cousin comes to be baptized, and he says, you should be baptizing me. I've heard you teach. You know, I've heard the stories. I've, I've known you all my life. You should come and baptize me. And Jesus says to John, no, you have to baptize me. And John baptizes Jesus. He comes out of the water. A voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. God, the Father, 
in, in saying, this is my son whom I love, has fulfilled two prophecies in the Old Testament. Those words specifically relate to two prophecies in the Old Testament. And, and you hear this voice from heaven, and I think John's thinking, okay, where's the dove? This could be it, where's the dove? And then the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. Now, God the Father is there, spoken. God the Son, Jesus, is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and settles on Jesus' shoulder. And John, I think, in that moment, probably had a lot of emotions running through his head. If it were me, I would be saying, this is the moment that I've been waiting all my life for. Right now, it's right here. I think he'd be overwhelmed with the experience. I don't know about you, if, if, if I were getting that baptistry, and all of a sudden the roof would open up and a dove would come down and a voice from heaven would come down, I think we'd all be taking notice, folks. Something major is happening here. And I think maybe a little bit of vision fulfillment, if you're familiar with that term, it's when you, when you accomplish your vision and, and, and you feel really good about it, but then the next morning you get up and say, now what's next? I think he probably experienced that the next day. You know, I'm going to probably go keep baptizing, but the one thing I was waiting for all my life just happened yesterday. So what's he do? He tells the people in our story today about it. He received a sign from God, and it was an amazing sign that, that God was at work, and this is the Messiah. Your cousin, Jesus, is the Son of God, and his eyes are opened, and he never looks at his cousin the same ever again. I've met the Son of God. He received a sign that made it very clear. But then go forward three and a half years. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's about to die. And God is about one more time giving a sign to his people. Not a sign that Jesus is God not a sign that Jesus is the Messiah, not even the sign that we're most familiar with that we celebrate the table every week, his body and blood broken and shed for us. Not that sign. The sign that's happening miles away in a temple at the moment Jesus dies. A sign that says, from God to us, everything has just changed. We find this in Mark chapter 15. We find these words when we discover that God is doing something different. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And one sentence, we get the sign from God. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And back at the cross, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. But that one word, that one sentence, that is this amazing sign from God that everything has changed at the moment Christ died. 
the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What did the curtain represent? It represented the separation between God and mankind. Only the high priest could go behind the curtain. Only he could go in and offer the sacrifice in God's presence. It was the, the place where, where in, the, in the Holy of Holies where God's presence lived with the people of Israel. When, when Moses was saying, don't take your presence from us, he understood God resides with his people. And in that, in that moment that Jesus dies on the cross, the, the door, the curtain, the door that separated mankind from God, that only one man once a year could go in, and he had to make sure he was spotless before God. So much so, if you've ever gone to the tabernacle reproduction in, in Lancaster, if you've ever seen that, they, they would wrap a, a tie, a rope around his ankle. And as he's walking in there, he would have bells on the bottom of his robe. So as he's doing the ritual and doing the sacrifice, they could hear the bells. And if the bells stopped, that means God struck him dead. And they would have the rope to pull him out because anybody that would go in other than the high priest would be killed instantly because God's presence was so powerful. And when Jesus died on the cross... It's as if the hands of God came down, took the temple curtain, and ripped it in two from the top to the bottom. Some people suggest that the, the curtain may have been as thick as four inches of fabric, may, perhaps as high as 60 feet. From the top to the bottom, it was ripped. Historians tell us that many times over the years, the Jews tried to repair it and, and, and sew it back up, and it kept ripping. It would never continue, never once stay whole like it had been. Because I believe that was another sign from God that God opened the way to enter into his presence. When Jesus died on the cross, God was saying, the old way is gone. The final sacrifice has just been paid. You no longer will find me in the temple. You will find me living in your hearts and lives. Got to wait 40 days for it. Got to wait till Pentecost comes. But when it comes you'll understand what I mean by the new temple. And things will be forever different. God opened the way to enter into his presence. Jesus, the final sacrifice, his son, marked the day where God moved out of the temple and into our presence. So I wonder why we miss it, or where we miss it. God is available to all of us. God wants to do amazing things in our lives. God wants us to live in his presence daily. That's what we've been talking about these last four weeks. He's opened the way. It's not something that we initiate. It's something he initiates that thirst and that desire in us to seek after him. He ripped the temple, court, the, the temple curtain apart so that he would have access, we would have access directly to him. I wonder why we miss the signs all around us. Are there things that we've become so familiar with in our lives that have filled up our lives that, that we miss the symbols and signs of what God is doing at work in our lives? Um, one, one of the things I love about my job is that it puts me in unique places from time to time. Like this past weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and tonight, uh, I and another coworker, we have a booth set up representing our company at a um, 
revival down in Shippensburg, the fairground. The, uh, it, it's uh, three, 400 people coming each night. There's food trucks, amazing tacos. Oh, man. I said the first night, I said, well, you don't have chicken. Last night, they had chicken on their tacos. I had beef the first night. The only thing is the hot sauce is a little weak, so I told them I'm going to bring my own tonight. But uh, if you understand, if you get to know me, I can eat Mexican food all day long, every day for the rest of my life, and be happy. All right? We're soulmates. Brothers, separated at birth, right? Well, maybe not. It's quite a few years for labor. But anyway, um, this whole idea, though, of, of being able to be there, and we've been, you know, our booth shuts down, and we sit back, and we enjoy the worship service. They have had bands from the largest churches in the area come in, and they're doing some amazing uh, worship sets. Honestly, guys, you could do just as good as they're doing, because this team that you guys have here is amazing, right? There we go. Yeah, is your worship team amazing or what? You know, all right. <laughs> but here's the thing. The speaker started out the first night, and I'm not going to get into everything. Um, I, I, I looked at my coworkers and I said, well, I agree with maybe 10% of what he said tonight. And we prayed for him all day long. We both of us were really uh, concerned about it. And last night I said, I agree with 80% of what he said. But his approach, as a young man, his approach was to, to preach like they did 30, 40 years ago, which basically is criticize everything, and, and if you're doing this, you know, if you're even thinking about going to the movies, you're a sinner from hell, and, and all of this, and he just, man, laid it out there. But I got thinking about it, you know, once I ignored the fact that he said all seminary graduates are taught by people who have never experienced God, and I have a seminary degree, and I just wanted to go, so let, let's, let's talk about that, you know. But he, he listed all of these things, and the more I thought about it, I may have been offended by the way he said it and how he approached it. But there was some truth to that. That there are a lot of things that we allow into our lives that fill up our lives so much that we don't have room for the presence of God. And we're so busy chasing after certain things. And they're not bad things. They're good things sometimes, but they take over the room and space that we have for the best thing, and that's living in God's presence. God went to enormous lengths to make the way to himself easy and clear. He challenged a guy named Moses to ask for God's presence. He challenged a guy named David to repent and seek after him with his whole heart. God led us by a guy by the name of Elisha to ask for a double portion of his spirit so he could serve God in amazing ways to bring honor to God. And Jesus died on a cross so that God would have the final sacrifice and open up the temple, symbolizing direct access to God the Father. So if that's all available to us, what's keeping us from entering fully into his presence? It might be the stuff that we fulfill our lives that we fill our lives with that just keep us so focused on other things. It might be a desire for us to still be in charge of our own life and not say, "Okay, God, you can have everything." We tend to give God like ninety-eight percent and hold back that two percent for us. But what is keeping you from fully entering into His presence today? I don't know the answer. Only you do. 
But maybe the follow-up question is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to create a life where you can live in God's presence fully, daily? Are you going to intentionally remove some of those things to create space that God can take over? You see, every person I read in Scripture that sought after God found him. Every person I read in Scripture that really diligently said, I want to live in God's presence daily, found God daily. The question is, what's keeping you from being that one that knows and experiences God's presence daily? Father, would you search our hearts as we prepare to experience the table and, and, and celebrate that victory that Christ did on the cross? for the forgiveness of our sins. And we think about the fact that at the same time you were sending a symbol to your people, the Jews, and ultimately to us as Gentiles that God's presence is available to us, Jew or Gentile, for all time. Would you help us to think about the things in our lives that are separating us from you? For some, it might be sin that we need to repent of and ask forgiveness. For others, it it just might be some good stuff that we've put in there that's just taking over our whole day and we find ourselves at the end of the day too tired to connect with you. Would you help us to restructure and reorganize so that we can find you daily and notice the symbols around us, notice the signs of what you're doing, know when your hand is at work so we can move and follow and be a part of that. Father, may we just be a church that as we prepare for a new pastor, before that we prepare for your Holy Spirit's presence in a way that we've never experienced before. Father, help us to deal with these questions. And as we come back next week to celebrate Pentecost, may we truly understand and experience what happens when God's Holy Spirit fills the life of a believer. As we look at what the church did after Pentecost, we can experience some of that in our lives as well. So, Father, prepare us. Help us to come back next week hungry and thirsty. Help us this week to, to make some changes in our life, to be able to spend more time with you daily, to fully experience your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.